you would, we're going to be Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. The title of the message today is, We Have an Advocate, and amen to that today as we look through these things. I confused myself earlier and thought that this was the last Sunday in March, and just so y'all know, it's not. It's the 21st. So I just want to let you guys know that. So our memory verse for the month, which we'll be saying again next week, hopefully you're getting there, is Psalms 27, verse 14. If y'all will say it together with me, wait for the Lord, be strong, and don't lose hope. What do we do? Wait for the Lord, okay? That is very applicable to our children. Again, we want them to hide the word of God in their heart, which means that we need parents. They love what you love. They respect what you respect. They prioritize what you prioritize, Remember that. There's no way around that. They get into the stuff that you get into. Yes, as they get older, they try to get a little bit further out and spread their wings, but especially when they're younger and grandparents, let's make sure that we have a godly influence so they can hide the word of God in their hearts that they might not sin against our Lord, our Savior, our King. Last week, we talked about specifically the promise of God through Abraham. It was following up on this section of Hebrews. Remember chapter 5, verse 10, it stopped. He stopped his narrative and said, listen, I want to tell you more about Melchizedek, which we're about to get to, but you can't hear it right now. You guys are dull. You are spiritually anemic. You are missing the picture here, the big picture. And so he says, I need you to pay attention. I need you to wake up spiritually. I need you to hear what I'm about to tell you because if you're not awake, it's not going to resonate with you. You're not really going to understand what I'm trying to get after when I talk to you about Melchizedek and about Jesus being a part of the priesthood there. Today's discussion is primarily, it's a long text, so please stay with me and read along. It's the easiest way to keep up. It's a long text, but the primary emphasis, which I want you to get, is the priesthood, is what we're talking about here. The priesthood that comes from first the Levitical priesthood from Aaron, but then to the priesthood of Melchizedek which is the one in which Jesus comes from, which is a greater and far superior priesthood than that which comes from Aaron. So we're gonna be talking about that and then the fact that Jesus mediates between us and God, man and God, and he always intercedes. I don't think it's not that you haven't read this section of scripture before, but when we really get into the emphasis in verse 25 about that he is, lives to intercede on our behalf and what that means and the ramifications thereof, I think that that should dynamically change the way that you view your relationship with the Lord. So let's get into the text this morning. Chapter 7, verse 1. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, uh, the priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also the king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of his spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take a tithe from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these are also descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descendant from them, receives a tithe from Abraham and blesses him who had the promises." It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the case of tithes are are received by mortal men, but in the other case by by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself who receives tithes paid a tithe through Abraham for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. 
Now, if perfection had been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arrive in the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, for which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord descended from Judah, and in connection with the tribe of Moses, from that tribe, Moses said nothing about the priest. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not only based on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the other hand, a former commandment is set aside because of the weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one who made a priest with an oath by the one who has said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests that offer sacrifices daily, first for their own sins and those for the people. Since he did this once and for all, he offered himself up. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. And that is the word of the Lord this morning. Now, I said this before I got out here to our, our team when you read a text like that, I know that a lot of people, especially if you're not used to being maybe in, in the word of God as much, are like, oh my goodness, like that was a lot to read. And so there's only certain parts of this today that I'm really going to go more in depth towards because there's so much right here. And the thing is, the text is deep. And the person of Melchizedek is very ambiguous and, and kind of hard to understand. And, and who is he anyway, to be honest? Like, who is this person? And how many of y'all would ever name your child Melchizedek, right? I know that we got, you know, some families in here who are looking forward to uh, having a baby. And I don't know how many right now are like, well, that's, that's my kid's name, Melchizedek. That's where I'm going with it. I mean, how many? Yeah, what would you do? I mean, what's he gonna do, good point, when he's in kindergarten or first grade and he's gotta write his name? What are you gonna go, Mel? Just go short for Mel? I mean, how are you going to spell something like that? What are you going to do with that? And the answer is like, it's a great name. I mean, biblical proportions, it's big. You know, if he's in trouble, think about it. Melchizedek, come here. It's strong. You know, Mel, it's soft. Melchizedek, it's got oomph to it, right? He's like, all right. I mean, the name though, specifically, it's like, his name means king of righteousness, king of peace. And so what we're seeing here is a messianic in a sense. It's a preview Right, So Isaiah was a long time after this is being written, and this is from Genesis 14, specifically the only time that he's really mentioned. He's only there for a glimpse. The only other time in the Old Testament that the name of Melchizedek is even brought up is Psalms 110 verse 4. Psalms 110 verse 1 and 4 is used more 
than any other Psalms in the New Testament, specifically because it's very much so geared towards the Messiah, right? The Christ to come. What we find with Melchizedek is that first and foremost, the most important thing that you see in verse one is this. He's a priest of the most high God. That was what was described of him when he came into the scene in Genesis 14. It's the first place in all of scripture that we find a priest. It's not that there weren't sacrifices that were taking place. It's just that he was very unique. Notice in those other verses right there, it says he has no what? Mother or father or genealogy. So he's coming out of basically nowhere. And it says that he resembles, the word resemble here in the Greek means it's like a copy. It's not the real thing, but it's a copy. It's a picture. It's an image, right? And so he resembles the son of God because he doesn't have these things, but it's not the son of God, but he resembles the son of God who is a what? Continues as a priest forever. So who is Melchizedek? So it's a picture, shadow, substance, a view of Christ, and Jesus is the what? He's the fulfillment there of, of Melchizedek. When we see him, it promises that through him in, in uh, Psalms 110 verse 4, that there is going to come one of the order of Melchizedek. And there was already a priesthood in place. But that's when it goes in verse 11, he says this. He says, if the priesthood was good to go, if there was no need and everything was perfect and people could be saved through the old priesthood, why would there be a need for a new one? And the answer is, is because it could not save. Jump a few chapters ahead in chapter 10. It says what? The blood of bulls and goats could not wipe away our sin. It couldn't do it. God gave man all throughout the Old Testament a way in which to be what? Reconciled, but it always was pointing ahead to the ultimate one who would reconcile us to God, which is who? Christ Jesus. All of those sacrifices were to point According to Romans, it says that God overlooked the sin of the past, utilizing the sacrifices as a form of covering, but always looking to who? Always looking to Christ. Always looking to Jesus. And so when we see this figure, we begin to say, man, this, this guy, he must be someone important because that's where verses four all the way through 10 come in. It says that Abraham, as great as he was, after defeating all these kings, right, Saving his nephew Lot, right? Getting him back. It says, then he's met by the king of Sodom, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. You don't even have to be a church member to know that they are bad people. God dealt horrendously with them because of their wickedness. Came up before him. God dealt with them. But it also says in the same line, Genesis 14. Look at it later. It says, then Melchizedek comes into the picture and he blesses Abraham, which is what it says. It's the greater who blesses the lesser. So again, we see this picture right here of this figure that presupposes the coming of Christ. We're looking at this. He blesses him. Abraham gives a tenth of his spoil to him, which is another way of saying that Abraham's choosing one of two paths. He's either gonna go the way of the world, which is Sodom and Gomorrah, or he's gonna go the way of God, right? He's choosing the way of God. He's believing the promises of God. He's trusting in God. We look at Lot and Abraham. Their lives are tremendously impacted. They first go together, Right? For my Bible students out there, they first go together, and then it says they grow too much, and finally Abraham says, hey, Lot, where do you want to go, man? All the land that's before you is yours. You go this way, I'll go that way. You go this way, I'll go that way. Whichever do you want. And of course, what did he choose? He chose the most fertile and most beautiful land, which was what? In the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. Listen, in this life, that's a great lesson for each and every single one of us. Just because it looks good, do not allow ourselves to be surrounded by wickedness. Do not engage in a wicked lifestyle because it never ends good. No matter what it looks like in the beginning, it never ends good. 
Abraham said, well, I'll go this way because what? God's blessing was upon him. Even when God's people go here or go there, God is with them and God blesses them. And this was the beginning of that very blessing for it says that Melchizedek blessed him. The whole setup here though is to do what? The whole setup is to say, listen, Jesus didn't just come out of nowhere. Jesus didn't just come out of nowhere. His, his priesthood is not just something that got thrown into the mix because God said, oh no, all of these priests are dying. All these priests are just mortal men and they're not actually able to really do anything of really great value. So I need to send my son. That's not how God works. God knows in advance what he's going to do. See, Jesus was of the tribe of what? Judah, by birth. Now again, the tribe of Judah was also prophesied in Numbers 24 by Balaam. And it says there's gonna be a scepter that comes from there, a ruler that comes from the tribe of Judah, right? These are things that we know. So Jesus comes on the scene and he's called after the order of Melchizedek. And he was done by what? Not just genealogy, it was done by an oath of God. God said, listen, I'm going to bring a priest here that is going to be able to do what the other priesthood could never do. I'm gonna bring a priest here who's not gonna do just the old covenant. He's bringing in a new covenant with him and he's gonna fulfill the old covenant so that people might be able to what? Enter into God's presence unhindered by sin. And that's why it says it's what? Verse 26. For indeed it's fitting that we should have such a high priest because you gotta have one. You gotta have a high priest who's what? Unstained. One who is, lives forever. Has a life that cannot die. And some of y'all might pick up, you're like, well, I thought Jesus did die, but his body did not see corruption, amen? He did die for our sins, but yet on the third day rose from the dead, defeated death, never to die again, and that is the one in whom we proclaim. That is why it says that he is a guarantor of a better covenant. He's a guarantor of a better covenant. If you got your worship God notes this morning, right there before we start, point number one, it says this, for salvation to be made possible, there had to be a change in the priesthood. There had to be a change in the priesthood. God said it even after the priesthood was installed, according to David prophesying in Psalms 110 that there was going to be one coming after the order of Melchizedek, which is another way of saying if there has to be another one, then the other one must be what? becoming obsolete. When we go into chapter eight, what does it say? If there is an old covenant and there's a new one coming in, then that means the old one is becoming obsolete, which means that God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham that he might have heirs of many generations. You see, it says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse one. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near to God. Verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, for by a single sacrifice, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The whole thrust, okay? Priesthood. Jesus is the priest of the order of Melchizedek. He's not just coming out of nowhere. He's the priest who is able to save us to what? Verse 25, to the uttermost always. And what does he do on our behalf? What is he always doing? He lives to make intercession for us, which is another way of saying God is what? Through Jesus Christ, he's always, he's praying for us. Jesus is praying and interceding on our behalf. So number one, if you're taking down notes with me today, Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. 
of a better covenant, of a new covenant, of the covenant that was promised in what? Jeremiah 31, that we should be given what? Hearts not made of flesh and not made of stone, but hearts that are being what? Brought in by the Spirit of God himself, that we might know him and we might worship him, that there would no longer be a need to say left and right, hey, no God, no God. No, it's like the people know God. The people know God. We're looking for the fulfillment of that to be completely made, but it says that Jesus is a guarantor of a better covenant. The pastor goes to great lengths from verse one all the way pretty much through 21 to show that Jesus is in line of the order of Melchizedek, to show that he's not just coming out of nowhere, to show that he has what? A divine origin, an oath made by God, because a new priesthood presupposes what? Presupposes a new covenant presupposes a new way in which to enter in before the very presence of God. The old way, only one time a year would the high priest ever go before the very presence of God. Only one time a year and only the high priest, first to offer for his own sin, then to offer for the people, always filled with incense so that the room would be very dark and very hazy. And what happened when Jesus died on the cross? Tell me, church, what happened? When he died on the cross, the veil, it says, was torn, not from bottom to top, but from top to bottom, making way for us, making way for God's people to be able to go into the very presence of the Father. Only a few weeks ago, we talked about that we were able to run, and it's in the present tense, which means we're to continually go again and again into the very presence of God that we might, what, find mercy and grace so that we might be able to live for him every day. Every day, that's Hebrews 4. So Jesus is a guarantor of a better covenant. Now, when someone guarantees something, what does that mean? It means they're gonna follow through with their word. Now, how many times have you been duped by somebody who said, no, I guarantee it. Oh, I guarantee you, this car is a good running car, right? I mean, I'm not a mechanic in any form or fashion. I'm one of the guys that will lean over the hood with you and be like, uh-huh, looks like an engine to me. That's right. Uh, you may push the gas. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm horrible, okay? Like, I'm the last person you want hanging out when the boys are out there looking underneath the hood. I'll just be like, yeah, I got a hammer in my truck, you know what I'm saying? Or, or we can pull it, I got a chain. You know, I'm good for that kind of stuff, but I'm not good for the other stuff. You know, and that, that's one of the things that, you know, we, we find in our lives. Like, everybody's a little bit different when it comes to that. But people make guarantees all the time. Like, best vehicle you'll ever drive. And it's like, eh, it didn't work out quite that way. People make guarantees all the time on TV. You always see it. For those of you who stay up too late, you have what? The info, infomercials late at night, right? When you start seeing, this is just a, this is just a, a, a let you know kind of deal. When you start seeing infomercials again and again and again, you're up too late. You, that's like an indication to go to bed because if it costs more for the shipping than it costs for the product, you got a problem. You know what I'm saying? There's a guy who used to be a comedian. He says, there's your sign. He might still be a comedian, but I don't know him very well. You understand what I'm saying? Like, so there's, there's a certain point in time, but everybody guarantees it. Lifetime warranty. And in reality, the lifetime warranty means as soon as it actually breaks, well, that was a lifetime, my friend. I'm sorry, you need to buy another one. And if it's not a lifetime warranty, but it just says it's gonna last forever, that typically means that it's gonna take you 40 weeks after you send it back in, pay the shipping when you could have just bought the product again, you never get it back in the first place, and it was so hard to do it that they knew you wouldn't go forward. Here's the difference. Jesus, when he makes the guarantee, keeps his word. What did we say last week? God cannot what? He can't lie. 
God cannot lie because that is not of his nature. When we lie, we are not reflecting God properly. When we lie, we break down trust. When we don't have trust, we have no foundation. That's what destroys every good relationship that you have is a lie. And not a lie, but multiple lies. And in many cases, we deceive ourselves in the process thereof. But what God says is he is truth. He's the way, he's the truth. He's not saying I'm just telling you about truth. He says I am truth. I am the embodiment of truth. So when Jesus says he's a guarantor of a better covenant, it's another way of saying you can count on it. There's no way he's gonna let you down because he what? He makes salvation possible to the uttermost, which means another way of saying always and forever. With a new priesthood supposes a new covenant. We need, all of this text is really getting at, is a mediator between us and God. Why sin? Why, why do we need someone fighting on our behalf? Why do we need someone coming in between us? Why? Sin. Why? Because God's holy and perfect in every single way. The more you think about God being like you and like me, and I'm not saying there's not likeness there for we're created in his image, so don't get me wrong there, but the more you think that he's cool with whatever level of sin that you are able to tolerate in your own life, you are misunderstanding and misrepresenting God, and your God is not one from the Bible, but one that you're making up. God is absolutely holy. That's not just an attribute of God, that is God. He's holy. He's holy. So it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says, for there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the what? At the proper time. Why did he do that? So that he could bring what? Us together. This is the other problem that we as Americans make, people in general make, because everybody in America is in some form or fashion, we're all Christians, right? We're not. Okay, we're not. Say it one more time. We're not. We are not all Christians. Just because your grandparents, no, doesn't mean anything. Just because your parents, no, doesn't mean anything. We all are either have or do not have a relationship with the Lord, and that is only brought through by what? It's through Jesus. It's only brought through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, which says he is a what? He's a mediator between us and God, that through his blood, he paid our debt. He paid your debt. He paid for your sins, for the wages of sin is what? Death. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. There's not a soul sitting in here who can nod their head self-righteously. Well, that's not me. No, that is you. And if that's you thinking that right now, you're doubly bad off, okay? Anyone who's in here just saying, you know what? I'm not nearly as bad as those people sitting next to me. Well, guess what? You're so much farther from a relationship with the Lord than anyone who actually recognizes, you know what, I don't deserve his grace. The sooner we recognize we don't deserve his grace, the sooner we recognize that it is unmerited, that I can't earn it, I don't deserve it, that God just loves me, you'll be set free. For freedom, Christ is what he set us free. So many of us live in bondage because we're always trying to work for it. Even as Christians, in many cases, we're always like trying to do just like the rest of the world. We're trying to earn his love, trying to earn his favor, trying to earn it. And God's saying, I love you. You know, a lot of times people are like, you don't really believe them. So you're like, no, 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 I need you to tell me again. Tell me in a different way. You ever have your spouse tell you? This is why a marriage conference comes up. You ever have your spouse tell you, you know, do you love me? And I'm like, well, yeah, I love you. Of course I love you. 
Well, it's too late. I mean, I already told you to tell me that. You know, can you, can you show me next? And I'm just like, well, I just did what you asked me to do. And it's like, well, I know, but I had to tell you to do it so it doesn't count. We just have to like really dig it out of them. Like, do you really love me? Are you showing it to me? Yesterday, I showed it to my wife that I love her. I am not the best at all with little kids. I'm just not. Like, I don't know how many guys are out there that are, like, if you're number one dad in that area, go you, okay? <laughs> We're gonna have a segment at the marriage conference, and I'll probably get you to speak, because I'm gonna step down in that area. I'm just, I'm not that guy. Like, I, I love them, but I also love them when they come up to, like, here. I need a little more autonomy, you know what I'm saying? Like, I need them to know how to do things, especially when it comes to using the bathroom. Like, I'm not, I'll do it. I'm just not into it, okay? Some dads are like, oh, goochy, goochy goo. Come here, you dirty diaper. I'm like, ugh, get back. Come on now. But I, I watch my, my wife and my daughter. They're in, um, in Lafayette right now. She has her last cheer competition of the year. It's, it's been good. It's been all, you know, great things. So Abram, on the other hand, had a baseball tournament in Ruston, and me and Beckham and Abram went to Ruston. Beckham loves me, and I love him, but he would not to save my life, get down yesterday. Two games in a row. I didn't even come with enough clothes. It was cold outside. I had a mom who stepped up the game like, hey, I'm not gonna let you keep that baby out here. Um, she ran to Walmart, got him more clothes because I'm a bad dad. Uh, I mean, it, just, it was one thing after another. And so by the end of the night, I finally get home. It's like seven something o'clock and I'm like, she don't know I love her yet. She, she don't, I don't know how else to tell her because that, I mean, that's love. It's sacrifice. Listen, when God tells you he loves you, He's not like us. He loves you. He shouts it from the cross, right? When God says he loves you, it's not like a little bit here. No, no. God loves you. And he proved it. He proved it. He loves you and therefore he sends his son Jesus to show his love for you so that you might be able to respond to that love and love him back. It tells us in 1 John, it's not because you loved him first. No, 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 no. Don't confuse that. It's because he loved you first, gave you the capacity to love, therefore you're able to love back. That's how love works. You have to be given the capacity to love, and God is the one who gives you the capacity to love. Therefore, we love him in return for what he has done, and that's the beauty of grace. See, law is always beating you down, telling you what to do. Grace is telling you this is the way, and this is the right, and this is the choice that you should make, and God allows us to make these decisions in and out, and some of which have some serious consequences to him, but he loves us so much, he brings us what? He brings us back. Brings us back. He disciplines us as a, what a loving father would do in the process of all of that, which leads me again to the next point, and this is the really, really cool part. Number two is, in Jesus, we have an advocate who lives to make intercession on our behalf. That's what we have. In Jesus, we have an advocate. That means someone who's fighting on our behalf, arguing our case. Let's make it a little bit more contemporary. That's a lawyer. Jesus is our lawyer fighting on our behalf. And it says, verse 25, he does what? He lives to intercede for us. Intercession is another way of saying he prays. He lives to pray for you. Justification is a one time where God, he does, an act of God, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, he sees you as what? Righteous. It's forensic. The word there, the term there in the Greek, it's forensic, which means that what? It doesn't mean you didn't sin. Let's never confuse that. You did. I did. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to sin today as though it never happened. It did, and it does. And it doesn't mean that what's going to happen in the future, this week, 
next month, Lord willing, we get to live for a couple more years or a couple more decades, depending on how old you are, because again, those are gifts from God alone. It doesn't mean that you don't sin. It means that Jesus has taken your place on the cross that says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So that God might see us in a forensic manner to say every single sin of Josh Burford, as dirty and as filthy and messed up as he is, has been paid for on the cross by Jesus Christ, by my son. And therefore, I see Josh. Here's the crazy part. I see Josh as I see Jesus, as the righteousness of God. I, I, I see, y'all ready for this one? I see him as, I call him beloved. Not because of anything that I bring to the table. Remember that God owns the table and he owns the room and he owns the world and he owns everything that we have. He owns us. Like everything that you have is borrowed, including your time. And God's over here saying, I see you as I see Jesus. I call you beloved, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done, because of faith, because you believe, because you've trusted in him. Verse 25, go again, go again, go again, again this week. Consequently, he's able to say to the what? Uttermost, forever, always. That's what it means. Those who draw near to him through Jesus, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession. Why is, what, what's the need What's the need for intercession? The need for intercession is because of what? There's sin, sin in our lives. We need to what? have a mediator. We need to have an advocate. We need to have one fighting for us. Now here's the deal. God, Jesus is not going to the Father and saying, man, oh my goodness, Derek messed up again. Oh man, I, t I told, Father, I know that I told you Derek wasn't gonna do it again. This is Pastor Derek right here in the story. I'm just bringing him in. You know, it's always good to have someone on the front row. I'm glad some of y'all sit in the back. You're easier to see, but I'm just gonna grab someone in the front. You know, it's like, Derek did it again. Because a lot of people have this misconception, like the father in the Old Testament, he's mean. Ooh, bad guy. But then we have sweet, loving, kind, cuddly Jesus, New Testament. They have two totally different ideas, but Jesus was really super sweet, Decided to get on the cross for me and you so that mean daddy wouldn't be so mean to us anymore and would welcome us in. I don't know about you, but how many of you, if you thought God was like that, would want to go to heaven? Because a lot of people have a wrong view of God and they, they think there's no joy. They think he's not happy. And if you believe God's not happy, you don't believe that God's not joyful, then guess what? You're not wanting to go to be with someone who's not joyful, not happy. And that's why some of you stay away from your homes. Ooh, watch it. Watch it. Why do we need intercession? Why do we need a mediator? Why, 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 why? Because of sin. The problem in our lives is not a social issue. The problem in our lives is not always a mental issue. It's not that our problem is sin. Our problem is our relationship with God. That's our problem. That is the ultimate problem. John Piper said it this way. The major problem in the world and in our lives is not troubled marriages, that's a, that is a problem, but it's not the problem. Our wayward children, or our financial pressures, or our failing health, or our cultural uh, degeneration. The main problem in the world, everybody's problem, is how to be reconciled to God so that we escape his terrifying wrath at the judgment. The main, that's the main problem. That's the main problem. John 3, 36. 
says that those who've rejected God, what? They're already under the wrath of God. It's not something we're just waiting on. It is, it is, a, it is a current reality. Now, the culture we live in today is what? They're, well, I, I can only believe in a God of love, but I can't believe in a God who has wrath. Well, then you don't read the Bible. You don't believe in the God of the Bible. That's your problem. That's not God's problem. A lot of times pastors feel like we gotta defend God. No, no, no. It's, 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 we're trying to hopefully better communicate God's ultimate revelation of himself, which is through his word, which is through the Bible, for people like me and you who are ignorant. That's what we're really trying to do. We're trying to better communicate that. God doesn't need to be defended. God doesn't lose, quote unquote, sleep, though he does not need sleep, at night because you think something ill of him. You're wrong, he's right. That's just how it works. The sooner we can get in line with what is right, with what is real, what is reality, the sooner our lives make more sense, no matter what we're going through, and we're able to go through this life in such a way that we say, God, you are with me. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 says it this way, in Christ, God reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You're like, I can't believe that. How, 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 am, I supposed to, how am I supposed to be made the righteousness of God? Because of what Jesus did. Well, I can't believe that. Why can't you believe that? Well, I mean, it's just, it's just it's too hard to believe. That's called grace. It blows your mind, doesn't it? It's awesome. Well, I gotta do something. I gotta, I gotta earn it. I gotta do something. That's your problem, pride. You're the problem, not God. You're the roadblock, not God. Your misunderstanding and misrepresentation of God is what maybe has caused you to say, well, I'm mad at you, God. It's not God. It's you. And we have... We have an advocate. Jesus doesn't go saying, Dad, I know Derek messed up again. No, no, no. Jesus, as he intercedes on our behalf, what, what's happening here? Jesus says, no, no, no not, not mercy, justice. I've paid the penalty for Derek and for Josh and Lachelle and every single one of you in here who are born again believers in Jesus Christ, I paid it, I paid it. Therefore, justice, which means he sees us as what? The righteousness of God, and therefore we can stand as what it says in Proverbs, bold as lions. Bold as lions. Where did Paul get this ferocious nature? Maybe God gave him natural passions. Or maybe he had a good understanding of who he was and how God saw him. Say it one more time. Maybe he had a really good understanding of who he was in Christ and how God saw him in return of being in Christ. When you look at Romans 8, 31 through 39, you just got this crescendo, it's huge. Who can say anything against God's people? What can separate me from the love of God? What can do it? If God will give us his own son, will he not give us everything else? I mean, it's just as all out. What is gonna separate me from God? There's not a single thing. But I believe part of the answer is in the very middle of it, verse 34. Look on the screen with me. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. I like the King James, King James Version. Nay, more than that, who was raised who's at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. This is exactly what Jesus does. He's interceding. He's praying for you. Well, doesn't Jesus get tired? No. Isaiah 40. For God neither grows what? Weary or tired. 
First John 2, 1, my little children, I'm writing you these things that you may not sin, right? No born-again believer wants to sin. We don't want to do that, but we do. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, which is another way of saying we have someone representing us. And when you're in a court of law, every single person is either given a lawyer or you end up standing up as your own lawyer, which someone very close to me said that basically one who represents himself is a fool. Uh, You should take a lawyer who knows what they're doing, knows the legal system and so forth. But here's the deal. Whoever represents you, whether they do a good or bad job, you still at the end of the day have to live with the consequences of what they've done. Here's the cool part. Y'all ready for it? You ready for it? Jesus is our lawyer and he's never lost a single time ever. Jesus is our lawyer who stands before and is able to advocate for us, who's mediated by his blood, stands and says, no, this one's mine. All who the Father sends to me, I will in no way cast out, John 6, 37. He says, for the will of the Father is what? That I would raise them up on that last day. Think about this. But here's the flip side of this. That's the good news, right? That's the good news. Jesus advocates for his people. Here's the bad news. As long as you are apart from Christ, you're your own lawyer. As long, stay with me, as long as you're apart from Christ, you are your own lawyer. You're your own advocate. Now, here's the difference. You know people who know you pretty well, who know that you are a liar, that you're a fraud, that you're a hypocrite at times. And I'm not saying you're always these things. Lord willing, you're not. They, they know that you've lived a promiscuous lifestyle at one point or, an, or another. They know that you've said disgusting things or said uh, irreverent jokes or babbling. They know that you slandered. They know that you gossiped. They know you. There's some people in your life that they know you. And those people who know you, there's no way that you could just defend everything away. Now, here's the difference. God sees you completely inside out. And you will stand before him. This is the bad news, but this is why the good news comes in through Jesus. You will stand before God. Some people say, I want my day with God. Oh, you fool. I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that's very foolish. You will get what you want. You will stand before God, but I don't think you're going to stand long. I don't think you will stand long at all. For it says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's going to happen. The only reason we would stand at all is because we have found ourselves trusting in the unmerited grace that is offered through Jesus Christ who says this, I'm always lived to intercede on your behalf. The Sunday school lesson is correct. Justification, one time, act of God because of what Jesus has done when we receive Christ. But here's the other side of it. Jesus lives to intercede on our behalf every single day and that includes, are you ready for it right now? Jesus intercedes on your behalf right now for those who what, draw near through him to Christ, to God. Jesus intercedes. He is our advocate and he's what? That word there, verse 26, he's fit for the job. Why is he fit for the job? Because he's what? He's a high priest who's holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. There's no one like Jesus. And that leads me, of course, to my last point. Who is like Christ? That's in your notes. Who is it? Come on now, tell me. Who is like Christ? Who do you know who loves you like Jesus loves you? Who? How many people do you know that know you that would still die for you a horrendous death? 
straight up die for you. There's some parents in here who would, Lord willing, with enough courage and grace by God, we would die for our children, not think twice about it. What about people who hate you? What about people who despise you? Remember Jesus? They spit in his face. They put a purple robe over him, mocking him, of course. Smashed a crown of thorns that they put on his head and beat it down with a little rod. Struck him in the face multiple times and say, prophesy to us. Who struck you? They make him carry his own cross. Now remember, this is the creator of the world. The very wood that he created is the very wood which is strapped to his back that he drags up. This is, who do you know? Who do, who do you know who loves you like Jesus? Who do you know who would do something like that? Who came for the very purpose? He declares it himself. I came for this purpose to die. So that I might be what? A sacrifice, a ransom. Who do you, who do you know like that? Who's like Jesus? Who loves me like Jesus? Who's sinless like Jesus? Who gives me a future and a hope like Jesus? Who gives me an identity we got a serious issue, and that's always been an issue, but a serious issue, especially in our day and age, nobody knows who they are. They don't have a clue. Think about it. Even us, even those who call Christ and say we know him, yet when we find ourselves in different surroundings with different groups, we begin to talk a little bit different or act a little bit different or bring up different conversations that otherwise would never occur because we're what? We're trying to identify with the group in which we are with. Even we are still just trying to figure it out so that we might have some types of social relationships and networks but this world who has not Christ, has not God, has no anchor, has no foundation, they don't even know if they're man or female. They don't even have a clue who they are. They have nothing to grasp hold of. All they can do is hope that the wave that they get tossed by will land them somewhere good. And any of us who've tasted of the world long enough know that there is no hope in the world in and of itself. I wanna bring up one last thing to think about when it talks about Jesus intercedes on our behalf. He lives to make intercession for us. Remember Peter. Peter on the night before he was to, Jesus was to be betrayed, right? It says that Peter and the gang, Jesus was telling him, he's like, I'm gonna let you know what's about to happen tonight. You're all gonna scatter. It's gonna fulfill prophecy, but you're all gonna scatter. And Peter's over here like, remember Peter's the leader of the gang. He's like, I'm, <laughs> these cowards might leave you, but not me. Now I'm going, I'll die for you. I'll do whatever. I'll fight for you. And Jesus, in his loving manner, because there's been a lot of us who like poke up the chest a little bit, you know, do a little Tarzan stuff every now and then. Jesus, in his loving nature, looks at Peter and he says, listen. He says, Peter, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you. I prayed for you. And when you deny me, because you are going to, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And he did. It says in one of the gospels that his eyes met Jesus's at that point in time. You ever been crushed by doing something that you know wasn't right in the presence or to someone that you highly respected, highly loved? Now, can you imagine doing that to the Lord? He says, when this happens, I want you to strengthen your brothers. He says, because I prayed for you. You're going to be humbled, but your faith will persevere. Now, there was another one that he didn't pray for. It says from the very get-go, he knew. 
He says, have I not chosen you? You didn't choose me, I chose you. It's all over scripture, I chose you. And one of you is the son of perdition. Three weeks or three months, however you wanna look at it, Peter was a part of a movement that was gonna forever change the world and that's why you're in here this morning. They were gonna proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ raised from the dead, which is what we celebrate every Easter. But Judas, who Jesus did not pray for, his body was a rotting corpse three weeks later. When Jesus intercedes and prays on our behalf, his prayer is always right and it is always answered. Always right and the answer is always what? Yes. He intercedes on our behalf. He saves to the uttermost. He is the great high priest that was promised from of old who has come to give us life eternal, to give us life eternal. I'm gonna close here with John 6, 37. As Megan comes up, it says this, and all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Give a message like that, and here's the hope. He lives to make intercession on our behalf. But here's also the reality. If Jesus is not your advocate, if he's not the one that you call Savior, then who is? And what's the end result for that? Let us stand, let us pray. Father, we come before you. Lord God, as we partake in of the Lord's Supper, Father, may we not take this lightly. May we recognize that this is a symbol of what you have accomplished, what you have done the life that you have given and the hope that we live for. Father, if there be anyone here today that has not a relationship with you, Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that they would respond to the gospel. They would call upon the name of Jesus. Just as he is a guarantor of salvation, he is also one that has said, for those who come to me, I will never cast away. I will never cast out. I will receive them. Father, may this be a moment where we just draw near to you and enjoy your very presence. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.